We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. Get oh, he's hurt. Oh, he's mothered that chicken. He's the chicken. Sabonis down the lane with authority. Lovert skies high for the jam. Warren lets it fly. Yes! You're listening to Setting the Pace, your go-to Pacers podcast with Alex Golden and Michael Focci. Hey, Pacer Nation, this is Alex Golden here. Wanted to let you guys know that today's podcast will be a little bit different than the normal format that we have. Myself and Mike Focci were unable to record together, but we did record two different sev- uh, separate segments. I was a guest on the Uncontested podcast that covers the OKC Thunder, part of the Blue Wire Pods Network. Jacob Niffen is the host there, does an excellent job. And we talked all things Pacers Thunder, went down memory lane, looked at the Paul George trade, who won that trade now looking back at it. Talked a little bit of TJ Lee for Jalen McHugh, just had to get his thoughts on all that. Then we looked at the draft prospects for this year because both the Pacers and the Thunder are in the lottery right now and play a little tankathon to to end the conversation. So we talked for close to 45 minutes to an hour, I would say, on that. And then Fachi had a special guest on. Rowan Carney from sportsillustrated.com. He had a nice piece on Karis LeVert. So Fachi talked to him about all of that. You can hear that part of the conversation. I think it's the last 20-ish minutes of this show. So hopefully you guys enjoy the pod. If you don't hear back from us by the end of the week, we'll be back early next week around Monday, Tuesday, have another pod for you guys. But there's a possibility I'll have another pod for you guys this weekend. Not sure if it's going to happen. But anyway, thank you all so much for your support. Hope you guys enjoy the podcast. If you're not already, follow us on Twitter at SettingThePace3. Foch is at underscore F-A-C-C-I. I'm at Alex Golden NBA, And you can always find us on Instagram at Pacers Talk. So hope you guys enjoy today's show. We will talk to you all later. The Oklahoma City Thunder versus Indiana Pacers. The Thunder lose 116 to 122. 
Alex, this game, the Pacers led majority of the way, but that last 60 seconds was uh, was a little bit entertaining. Yeah, it felt like a typical Pacers game because they cannot ever <laughs> finish games in the fourth quarter. They're pretty awful in second-half games. I think they've only outscored the opponents on uh, 23 maybe. I don't even check tonight's uh, box score, but – um, before that, it was 22 games out of the 30, and they're like 22 and 34 <laughs> in the second half. Oh, wow. So they're just really bad. They're a really, really, really poor second-half team. So I saw the lead early on, and I said, uh, is this going to hold up or not? I, d- I don't know, but I just – the Thunder, man, you guys are doing a great job of tanking. The, the uh, Yes, the tank is in full-speed mode. Here in Oklahoma City, this is the Thunder's 11th loss in a row. And Alex, I got to be honest, after this afternoon when we got the updated um, injury report and found out that Indiana uh, essentially sitting like half their roster, uh, the Thunder have been sitting half their roster for a while now. Um, mm-hmm. But after we saw who who Indiana was sitting, kind of figured out who they were starting, I started to question if this was going to be the one that the Thunder would win. Um, they, they got down early. Like you said, uh, they fought back late. I felt like, I mean, the, the tallest player that the Pacers played tonight, what, six, seven, six, eight. Is that right? Yeah. Six foot seven. O'Shea said who just signed a three-year contract uh, actually today. So there you go. Yeah. Meanwhile, the Thunder are starting seven foot one Moses Brown. I felt like Moses finally realized oh, crap, I'm taller than everybody on the court and bigger than everybody on the court there in the second half and started ripping down offensive rebounds. He had one, I think, where, uh, correct me if I'm wrong, I don't know if you remember this play, but I think it was Malcolm Brogdon got a rebound, and Moses Brown just turned around and took it right out of his hands and then pivoted and dunked the ball. And I was like, look at that, Moses. You're like, you're bigger than everybody. This will work. Um, Yeah. So Thunder got it close, though. Uh and then Pacers and end up putting it away. Um, so you just mentioned that uh, Brissett is has just signed a contract today. Um, was a two way for the Pacers, I believe. Um, what have you guys seen from him, uh, and, and are you excited about him moving forward? Yeah. So actually, he had just played with the G League Madians, and he played last year with the Raptors under Coach Nick Nurse and Nate Bjorkman was obviously a part of that staff, and so. He was their best player in the G League, so they signed the two 10-day contracts, and both of those ran out. So they did sign him to a three-year deal, and I believe Blake Murphy um, from from Toronto actually reported that the next two years are not guaranteed. But I think that what we saw tonight is just a guy that actually kind of fits that that bill for what the Pacers want to play. Obviously, it's been a rough year for Indiana. Now they're four games under five hundred, but before that they were five games, and they're just Clawing their way back. And I think with Brissett, the, the biggest thing with him is, he, you know, he had three blocks tonight, two steals. He was very active, didn't get in foul trouble. He's got athleticism. I think the Pacers just need bigger forwards like that on their roster. They don't have it. They've either got centers or guards, and they don't have really any in between, especially with TJ Warren out. There's nobody to really play that small ball for. And I think that he's someone that can give you that leverage of doing it. They've done it a little bit with McDermott. They've done it with Jeremy Lamb and Justin Holiday, but all those guys are not very good at the small ball four. And that's why I think they like Brissett. I think that they're going to give him a chance to actually get some run. And I think he'll be on this roster for the next couple of years because that deal is so cheap. Nice. Um, 
Let's talk about a guy since we have a lot of Thunder fans uh, here in the locker room as well. And those of you who are listening in on locker room, uh, please, if you have any comments, drop them in the chat. Hit that request to speak button. Alex and I will get you up here and, and chat with you. But, Alex, I wanted to ask. You didn't play tonight, but my man, DeMontis Sabonis. Um, just tell me. I, I know he's kind of been dealing with injuries and stuff this year, but as, as someone who covers the Pacers, what have you seen from Sabonis? I know there's always been talk uh, about Indiana maybe splitting the two bigs and Sabonis and Miles mm-hmm. Turner. Kind of your thoughts on that and just what you've seen from Sabonis so far um, this season, obviously last season, the All-Star year, uh, and moving forward, kind of what your hopes are for him. Yes, I, I think Domas is a really special player. I really do. And I think the Pacers didn't necessarily know the kind of player they were going to get. I thought they thought he'd be a good player. Didn't know he'd be an all-star level player. But once I traded Thaddeus Young, that opened up that opportunity for him to start last season. He he grabbed the bull by the horns and worked his way into an all-star game. And then this year wasn't originally voted in. And I think there was some Pacer fans. I know we were on our podcast talking about how we thought at the time, I think the Pacers were fourth in the East. Um, so we were kind of saying when didn't winning usually matter, but I, I just think he's got a lot of good skill sets and he's kind of had a rough season defensively. Coach Bjorkman's system pretty much has him playing the Pascal Siakam position on defense. And if you look at those two players, you can see why that would be problematic for DeMontis Sabonis because number one, he's not near athlete, near the athletic uh, freak that Pascal Siakam is. He's not that quick on his feet, but offensively he is just, an incredible basketball player, so good at setting screens, seeing guys cutting a great passer. And so really with Sabonis, I mean, a lot of fans are excited about him. And I I think right now, if you're looking at who is the face of the Pacers franchise, I think he is that guy right now. So when it comes to determining whether they keep Sabonis or Turner, there's been a lot of people that are pro-Turner. I think the pro-Turner crowd is the loudest it's ever been in his uh, tenure here since being drafted. And with Bjorkren's system, Turner does make a little bit more sense on the defensive end of things. But offensively, I think Sabonis makes more sense. I can't see them trading away another face of the franchise after dealing Paul George and Victor Oladipo in the last four years. Two of the faces of your franchise being done in the last four years is a hard thing to do as a franchise. And they're not ready to rebuild. But I I think Sabonis is just a special player. He's going to get better, in my opinion. But with Bjorkman's system, I mean, he doesn't shoot any mid-range shots like he used to, and he was actually pretty good at that last year. The three-point shot's been iffy. I mean, there's been times where he's looked really good taking it, other times where he went in games without making one. So very inconsistent there, but I, I just think that Sabonis brought this up. He got injured and missed a couple games before he came back, and then he played pretty well the next five or six, and he said just that mental break from this long season was really beneficial. So I just think this has really been a tough year for a lot of the players, specifically Sabonis. Yeah, for sure. Um, it's interesting that you're men- mentioning Sabonis shooting because the one season he was in Oklahoma City, that's all he did, right? The Thunder started him as a stretch four, uh, and he played 20 minutes per game in Oklahoma City, shot two three-point attempts per game, um, and, and played a completely different role. And I think the Thunder kind of knew what type of player Sabonis was, mm-hmm. uh, but they still wanted to get him on the court somehow. Uh, but you also couldn't bench Steven Adams at that time either. And so trying to figure out a way that that fit. We have a question in the chat here, Alex, uh, from from my guy Colin Reed. 
he says from the Indiana perspective, who won the Paul George trade? Uh, he's always been he's always heard it from the Oklahoma City perspective, but he's interested in it from the Indiana perspective. Yeah, I think with the situation that Paul George put the Pacers in, and how much people made fun of the the Pacers for that trade, uh, getting what they've gotten. I mean, you're looking at four All Star appearances in those four years: two from Vic and two from Demonte Sabonis. So, sure, I mean, it, you could sit here and say that the the Thunder clearly got the better player out of the three. And then they were able to capitalize on that and trade Paul George to the Clippers for that, you know, motherload mother load of picks plus SGA. So, I mean, if you look at it, and then the Pacers, obviously, Vic loses all his value after being injured. They get Karis LeVert. And Karis LeVert is a nice player. We still haven't seen him blossom into that, you know, star-level player like Victor once was. So, I mean, right now I would say that OKC probably won the trade, but, I mean, if, if you look at it from Indiana's perspective, the position Paul George put them in, the Pacers couldn't have done any better uh, to get four all-star appearances out of those two players. I Honestly, uh, with, without saying it to be a cop-out, I think it really was just a win-win for everybody. And, and you know, the Pacers obviously didn't want to lose Paul George, but they could have made that a lot worse. And think if they would have done that Denver Cavaliers trade that was mentioned where the Pacers would have gotten Gary Harris and like a pick or something. Like I think they were very much – uh, better off getting Victor and DeMontis than, than getting Gary Harris on a pick or, you know, even Kevin Love at that point. So, yeah, it's just it's interesting to go back and look. But, um, unfortunately, neither of the uh, neither the Thunder or the Pacers, I believe, have gotten out of the first round since that trade has happened. That is true. Um, and, yeah, if you follow the line of that trade for the Thunder, uh, originally Oklahoma City traded Serge Ibaka to the, the – Orlando Magic for Victor Oladipo, and it was on. A, it was a draft night trade for the mm-hmm. pick that became Demontis Sabonis. Uh, a year later, they flipped Demontis Sabonis, Victor Oladipo for Paul George. Um, two seasons later, they trade Paul George for, like you mentioned, Danilo Gallinari, Shea Gilgis Alexander, uh, five first or six first round picks, and four swaps. Oh my god. Yeah, the Thunder traded Serge Ibaka uh, essentially for the, the mother load that they got. So it's uh, – yeah, well, from, from a Thunder perspective, you can't really complain. But, no, I, I like what you said there that, you know, the, the Pacers had to do something, right? Their, their backs were against the wall. The trade demand was in. You, you can't just sit on that. Uh, that's, that's like basketball suicide at that point. Uh, and uh, I always found it fascinating that the Pacers decided to go with uh, tangible players instead of picks in that yeah. trade. Um, it obviously, it worked out good for both teams, like you mentioned. And th- that first season of Victor Oladipo in Indiana was, I mean, obviously it was peak Oladipo, but that's like, yeah. you know, top four or five shooting guard in the league type of player. Uh, he was really, really impressive that season. Um, I, I want to go back to another guy you had just mentioned for the Pacers before we continue breaking down this game. Uh, Karis LeVert tonight, 28 points, five rebounds, six assists, four steals. Obviously, there was a lot of drama when when Karis LeVert landed in Indiana mm-hmm. uh, with the the physical and revealing the, the tumor uh, and the things that followed with that. And you mentioned, you know, you haven't really seen all of what Karis can do. But how do you feel about the Malcolm Brogdon, Karis LeVert backcourt uh, moving forward into next season uh, and into the into the future? I would say in a small sample size, it's been all right. I think that 
Lavert's ability to be more of a playmaker. He likes the ball in his hands. He's not a great catch-and-shoot kind of guy where Brogdon is, so they can kind of play off each other where Lavert's kind of running the offense more. But I thought over the last – before before Turner came back against the Hawks, and I know Turner's out for uh, at least three to four weeks. He's out indefinitely with his right toe injury. Um, I shouldn't say three to four weeks because it's not technically true, but a lot of people that have reported on that injury said it's a three-week injury at least if he doesn't have to have surgery. So, but anyway, when it was him, Sabonis, and uh, when Levert, Sabonis, and Brogdon, those three together, I really started to see something click offensively between them. Now, defensively, they still have their issues together because Brogdon does not do well guarding quicker point guards. He's better guarding wing-type players, and I think Levert's kind of in the same boat. So that still does put a damper on guys like De'Aaron Fox, John Morant, those kind of quick point guards that would just, you know, give them problems. I think SGA would probably give them problems, too, if he was playing tonight. But Levert, I mean, he's he's a good player. He's a little bit inconsistent, obviously. You saw his three-point numbers tonight, one of seven. Not consistent enough from three for me. He's a mid-range kind of guy, uh, you know, with his pull-up game. I mean, he's really – he's got a lot of talent, and I think that – Getting him through a summer and through a training camp and getting him more acclimated with a roster that fits his skill set makes a lot of sense. But it's it's a weird situation because of everything he went through. And, and quite frankly, I, I just think that he's still trying to figure out the chemistry with this roster. But he came out and said it when the Pacers beat the Spurs about three weeks ago that uh, Sabonis didn't play that game when it was just Miles Turner that played. And he said there was a lot of room on the floor tonight. And I think that was – you know, I don't want to try to guess what he's saying, but just having one center does make a big difference for what he likes to do. So, yeah, I mean, I think the future is bright with Levert. Brogdon is who he is. I mean, 11-23 tonight, that's kind of his game. He's been much more active on the glass. Tonight definitely was a necessity based on, you know, who they had on the roster. But he's been a little bit better since he came back from his injury. Him and Sabonis were out for the same amount of time. So, yeah, I just – uh, they're fit together, man. It's 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 good, but it's not ideal. It's not perfect to me. I think there's still some holes in it. I, I think they really need to go out there and address the point guard situation and get a true point guard. But that's you know easier said than done. Yes, definitely. Um, Alex, let's switch over to the Thunder side for yeah, a second. Let's do it. Um, handful of guys we can chat about first. Uh, Alexei Pokashevsky, uh, the the one guy I was really looking forward to to watch tonight. Um, uh, unfortunately, only plays five minutes. He left with what the team called a non-COVID illness. Okay. Uh, so I'm not sure what's all up with Poku. Uh, hope he's all right. Hope we get to see him play again soon. Um, but a handful of guys here, and I, and I know you don't watch. Uh, God, I don't. I hope nobody <laughs> besides people like me covering this team watch this Thunder team on a regular basis because it's it's a tough watch right now. But I'm going to throw out a handful of names here. And then I just want you to pick one of these guys and, and we can chat about their performance tonight. And I'm really interested to get your perspective as somebody who doesn't watch this team on what you thought about this team okay. or these players. Uh, so the guys I'm going to throw out, we have Kenrich Williams, Svi Mihailuk, Teo Maladon, Darius Baisley, Moses Brown. Okay, let's start with Baisley because this is a guy that I've heard a lot about. And like you said, I haven't watched a ton, a ton of Thunder actually. I don't think I've watched any Thunder since the playoffs last year, uh, and that was pretty fun to, to see that little run. But uh, Baisley is a guy that I've heard a lot of good things about. He 26 points tonight on 25 shots. Um, not a great three-point shooter, but I did see him, the one that I did see him knock down, I was really paying attention, so I was like, oh, he's not a bad shooter. 
when I look at the stats. But, uh, yeah, so tell me a little bit more about him. Obviously, I know Mikhailuk a little bit from his time with uh, the Pistons, I believe. So I'd like to know more about Baisley. Can you uh, fill me in on him? Yeah, yeah. I mean, 26 points on 25 shots, like you mentioned, not efficient at all. Baisley's been struggling with efficiency. In the bubble run last year, uh, Baisley was crazy hot from three. And the stroke looks nice. It's just not going in. I think the biggest knock for Baisley recently has been his inefficiency at finishing at the rim. He can get to the basket, but he finishes soft or he finishes low and gets it blocked. Uh, We've been seeing a lot more dunks from him recently, though. Uh, And I just thought tonight, even though he wasn't efficient, he wasn't great. He had three turnovers. Um, I mean, 26 points is nice. Nine rebounds is nice. Two assists is nice. Uh, But there's a lot of, like, discombobulation on his drives and stuff. But the thing I enjoyed from him tonight was – and you may have have noticed this as well – just his aggressiveness. He was willing – every time he got the ball, he wanted to put it on the floor. He wanted to drive. He wanted to be physical and try to get to the basket. Um, he was trying out different moves. He was trying to, to drive and kick. Um, and, and I think, to me, with Darius Baisley, especially when he goes to the basket, I still see some uh, uh, some some Bambi-ness to him. Uh, yes, the, the baby yes. deer with the, with the new legs who's kind of shaky. And hopefully he can continue to grow and get, get better at driving to the basket. Um, but, yeah, I thought tonight the biggest takeaway for me from Baisley was – uh, just how aggressive he was. Uh, he seemed to play really hard, which uh, it, it's nice when you actually like notice that from players that they're really putting that effort in. And yeah. he just he wanted to be that guy for the Thunder tonight, and I thought that was a good sign. No, I agree with that. I thought Basil was very aggressive, and I liked how much he was attacking. Obviously, I felt like this was a really sloppy game. I did not enjoy it thoroughly, to be honest with you. It felt um, like I was watching a bunch of guys at the Y play pickup. It, it really did, and it was hard to sit there and like get super excited and obviously I'm hearing the Pacers broadcast seeing Pacers Twitter so I'm getting a lot of Pacers commentary in my in my ears basically watching the game from what I saw I thought Mikhailuk actually was really efficient offensively Uh the economy is made up of real people doing real stuff and it affects everything which you obviously know since you're a real person doing real stuff marketplace is here to help you get smart about everything beyond the what of the day's business and economic news We dig into the how and the why with the real people driving our economy. From big tech and interest rates to small businesses and what's happening at the Fed, Marketplace breaks it all down so you don't have to. Listen to Marketplace wherever you get your podcasts. Um, I felt like whenever he shot, the ball was going to go in. And he took some nasty shots. I think there was one that hit the side of the backboard. I was like, oh, that wasn't even close. But I, I think I was more disappointed with Moses Brown. Just because I had listened to some people kind of preview the game a little bit, and they were talking about how he was going to have just a monster game against the Pacers, especially without any centers. And to me, I just felt like he could have asserted himself a little bit more, and I'm surprised that that OKC didn't try to get him a little bit more involved. Maybe they're purposely trying to lose, but I, I mean, uh, Kendrick Williams, I mean, I, I like his game as well. I don't think his box uh, plus minus really reflects the kind of player that he is because – I mean, he had an efficient nine as well. I just – there's a lot of these guys on this team that I, I like how hard they play. I think that they are buying into the system. But, you know, OKC's done a really good job of putting a team together that is going to get you a lot of losses, but they're going to be at least competitive while playing. And, you know, that's how you kind of – that's kind of how you find those diamonds in the roughs um, and hopefully can 
latch on to one of these guys that that's playing here, like Poku. I was really excited to see him. Like when they did a close up of him on the camera, I could not believe he was an actual NBA player. Like it's, uh, I mean, I've seen the pictures on Twitter of him in the post game press conference after he had a really big game, but yeah, it's just like it's so hard to really put to you know put put in your mind that he is an NBA player. But no, I mean. I thought you guys were going to come back possibly and tie this game up towards the end. I just – the Pacers aren't very good. And, and quite frankly, OKC is just better at tanking than Indiana because we're not trying to. And, uh, I mean, if the Pacers were really trying to lose, I don't think you would have seen uh, Brogdon and, and, and those guys play 40 minutes. Him and Levert played 41 and 39 minutes. So uh, only an eight-man rotation. Didn't even get, like, Cassius Stanley or Brian Bowen in the game. So I think the Pacers are trying to win, which is unfortunate for a lot of fans because we want to see them in the draft because they never get draft picks. But, um, yeah, I mean, I think there's some young guys on this team that could be impactful. And once you guys get fully healthy and get your lottery picks, I mean, I think OKC could be pretty good in three or four years. Yeah, I think that's the hope. And and you mentioned that these guys play hard mm-hmm. and they buy into the system. And that is that has been their hallmark all season is they have this never give up. I, I've been calling them the Goonies because they never say die. Yeah. Uh, they, they grind. They go hard every game. Uh, and just to be brutally honest, it's just they don't have the talent on the floor right now to win basketball games. But right. early on, earlier on in the season, we saw guys like Lou Dort, uh, Shea Gilgis Alexander, Al Horford, also buying into that idea of um, playing hard and that idea of buying into the system. And they were, you know, one of the surprise teams of the league early on with how much they were winning when they, you know, weren't supposed to be a team that was winning. And so I think you're seeing a lot of the stuff these guys, uh, like Kenrich Williams, like an Isaiah Roby, like a Svima Hiluk, uh, I think these guys. They're trying to get an extended look at them and figure out, do they fit as role players on the next iteration of the Thunder, right? I don't think they they believe that any of the guys that played tonight have that they're going to be the second star on this team potential. Save maybe Alexei Pokashevsky. The skill level for that kid is just through the damn roof. Mm -hmm. It's just, can, can he bulk up and can he reach that ceiling? Uh, but, but all the skill is there. Uh, but the rest of these guys, you know, they're not going to be the the number two to Shea Gilgis Alexander. The number two to Shea Gilgis Alexander, or Shea Gilgis Alexander being the number two to somebody, is going to be if they land a top five pick in this draft. Uh, what the twenty twenty two draft looks for the Thunder. So right now, like you mentioned, they're they're diamond mining. They're trying to find these guys that can fill out the end of the bench. These guys that can be role players and come in and and do specific things for them. And Ken Rich Williams, I think, really embodies that. Uh, just stuff the stat sheet tonight, 15.7 rebounds, two assists, two steals, a block. Um, the dude just, he plays his ass off and he has a really high basketball IQ. And when you pair those two things together, you tend to get positive things, uh, from that. And so he's been very impressive, especially when you consider that Kenrich Williams, like didn't even have a contract. The the New Orleans Pelicans signed Kenrich Williams to a contract so they could salary match in the Steven Adams trade. Wow. That's the only reason he ended up in Oklahoma City. And then now he's coming out and, and playing like he is and really turning himself into an asset. So I think shout out to Kenrich and the, the Thunder development team for, for what they've been able to do there. Um, 
Alex, before we get out of here, yeah. nobody has requested to speak, but we have a handful of questions in the chat um, that we can hit real quick if you're cool with that. Yeah, but can I ask you a quick Pacers-related question involving Yeah, yeah. So the Pacers and the Thunder made a trade before the season started. Jalen LeCue coming back to Indiana, and we actually just waived him to get a roster spot, which is why they did that to sign O'Shea Brissett. And you guys got TJ Leaf plus a second-round pick, I believe, from the Pacers. So I look at your roster, and I'm not trying to be mean. Obviously, it's not very, very good. Is TJ Leaf that bad that he couldn't even make this roster? Uh, that That is a great question. I, I always thought that trade was interesting, um, and I think that from my perspective, the sole – reason why the Thunder made that trade was to acquire another pick because Sam Presley is like Gollum from the Lord of the Rings. Uh, They're just his precious. He's got to hoard them all. Um, So I think it was primarily for that pick. Um, But yeah, they, the Thunder came into camp with too many guys and they had to cut them down. Uh, I kind of thought TJ Leaf was going to be one of the, one of the cuts. I, my belief back in camp was that the Thunder were actually going to keep former Pelican Frank Jackson, who they signed uh, to bring in the training camp. They ended up keeping Isaiah Roby and Kenrich Williams instead. Uh, and my assumption for, for Kenrich, we're, we're seeing it now, right? He, he's been very productive. Uh, but then for Isaiah, I think it's just the, the youth, right? That you had a much longer runway with Isaiah Roby, who had just signed a three-year contract versus uh, a TJ Leaf, who I believe was going into the last year of his deal. Mm-hmm. Um, so you were going to have to pay him and, and sign a new contract where with Isaiah, you had him on such a cheap contract and you, you just have a longer runway to see what he could become. Um, I, I think that ultimately was probably the, um, the logic behind that. Yeah. And that makes a lot of sense. I mean, I, I think that leaf, I, I don't know if he got a second 10 day contract with Portland or not. My guy, Josh Padmore probably knows he's in here putting some chats up. I think he's a big is that no? It's actually not Josh Padmore. Okay, never mind. But uh, there is a guy named Josh Padmore who's a big TJ Lee fan, and uh, he's still a Pacer fan. But uh, I guess he knows him pretty well. But I'm just I'm not sure if TJ did get a second ten day contract with the Blazers or not. But you know, I just kind of felt bad for him because he really regressed and uh, wasn't really sure why. I just thought it was opportunity, and I thought okay, so you would give him that. But um, anyway, and I, I think that they made the right move because there's a lot more potential. Um, with uh, with who they have on the roster now in OKC, but anyway, we can get back to the questions here. <laughs> that are the That's not gonna know, and that was a good one, you know. And um, it's kind of interesting that that the Thunder. I feel like a lot of times you start to see teams in the NBA, especially GMs, start to develop relationships to where um, they have like a handful of teams that they trade with, and the Thunder and the Pacers are one of those, right? They've made multiple deals together uh, the past few years. Um, the the Thunder and not even a specific team, but but just Daryl Morey uh, when he was in Houston and now in Philly have history together. Uh, so it's it's kind of interesting that you know the Thunder have never traded with Portland. Uh, the Thunder have like never traded with uh, you know I don't know name X team like the Knicks uh, or the Nets, but they have this uh, this history with these other teams and and. Indiana seems to be one of them uh, mm-hmm. over the the recent past you know four or five years, and I, I've always found that fascinating. It is interesting. Maybe they just you know smaller markets look out for smaller markets. Who knows? There you go. I like it. <laughs> um, all right, let's hit some of these questions before we get out of here. So Jeremiah Caesar says, "What in the world is up with Baisley's shot? It's just been non-existent this year after being okay last year. 
Um, Jeremiah, I would just say on that, um, last year was a small sample size, right? And guys get hot. Um, I think Baisley's stroke is nice. I think the form is nice. Uh, I think the the percentages will eventually come around. But yeah, this year just has not been a good year from him. Uh, you also have to consider, and I know a lot of guys can use this excuse, but Baisley didn't go to college. His first year in the league got cut short because of COVID. Uh, this second year has all these restrictions. And so it's understandable to see these first and second year guys really start to struggle a bit. Um, Colin Reed asks, what coach has a more promising future, Nate Bjorken, I hope I pronounced that right, or Mark Dagnall? And he said he hated typing both of their last names. Uh, I do not blame you, Colin. So, Alex, tell us a little bit about Nate Bjorken and um, uh, kind of what you see from him as, as a new coach and what you expect from him moving forward, and then I can talk a little bit about Dagnall. Yeah, so I, I'm glad that he typed out Dignall because I can never remember his last name. I just know his first name is Mark. And with <laughs> Nate and with Nate Bjork grin, and there's it's actually a grin at the end there. So Oh actually, yeah. See, uh, I screwed it up. It's all right. We a lot of people call him new Nate because our former coach was Nate McMillan, so it's old Nate versus new <laughs> Nate. It's, it's I love it. quite hilarious. We said we really had to fire Nate McMillan and hire a new Nate. But long story short, I just think that the roster that they put around Nate Bjorkren it doesn't fit a system. And I think the big thing that I said yesterday on our podcast was Nate McMillan adjusted his system to the players he had where Bjorkren is trying to adjust the players to his system. So quite frankly, I mean, it's not been a good first year from what a lot of what I've seen fans want him gone already in a short season because expectations are way too high here in Indiana. But what I will say is, you know, they brought him in to, you know, win in the playoffs and, and there's a chance they might not even make it. So I think that if he has another year like this next year, it would not surprise me if he is fired. But at the same time, I just they've got to get a better roster around him that fits his system to actually give him a legit chance. And then like this COVID season, obviously, there's a lot of asterisks on it. And I'm not going to discount anybody that wins a title or anything like that, but it's just like so bizarre. All these back-to-backs, all these multiple games, like four games in seven days, whatever it is, and no training camp, no practice time. I mean – I think that he's in a worse spot. And then with for me personally, with Dignall, the Thunder are trying to lose. They're openly trying to tank. So he's got this kind of like, um, you know, he might not be the long-term answer, but he's not going to be fired because they're losing games. You know, I don't think his seat's nearly as hot as Bjorkman's will be if they continue to struggle. Yeah, I think Dignall um, taking this job this season understood that uh, – I- the Thunder won't come out and say it, obviously, but you have to believe that there were conversations behind closed doors that, hey, you're going to lose a lot of games because we want a top five pick in the 2021 draft. Um, we understand we're going to lose games. Your job will not be in jeopardy for it. Like, I just have to assume that that conversation happened at some point in time between Dagnall and Sam Presti. Uh, but yeah, the the aside the win-loss column for Dagnall, what I've been most impressed with is... Uh, his his mindset, his leadership style, and his focus on player development. We've seen a lot of guys mm-hmm. in Oklahoma City really grow this season. Uh, obviously, you have to give all the credit to the player, but I think some credit also has to go to the development system that the Thunder have built in place. Uh, and I think the the team is starting to adopt that mindset that that Dagnall has. He talks a lot about having that zero and zero mindset. Doesn't matter if you won the last game uh, by fifteen or lost it by thirty. Uh, you can't let that hang over and carry to the next game. You approach each game like you're zero and zero. It's a new opportunity to grow. It's a new opportunity to get better. And so 
Um, I, I think the team is starting to adopt that mindset. I think it's a good mindset to have. Uh, I'm interested to see what if the Thunder do end up getting uh, where they want to in this draft and get their guy, what yeah. next year looks like when uh, it's presumed that they're not going to actively try to lose games. They're going to have Shea. They're going to have Lou. Uh, they're going to have whoever they get in the draft. They're going to have a, a Poku with another year under his belt and start to see kind of what that starts to become. Um, yeah. Well, that's good stuff. And I, I guess I should say X's and O's last because I didn't really talk about that. Like the player development's not been great for Bjork. And I think like Aaron Holiday is a young guy that a lot of people wanted to see, you know, kind of explode, but he hasn't. He's actually regressed this year. He looked better under McMillan's system. Um, he's finally, like, he's given Goga Batadze, our backup center, a chance to play in the rotation. Now, there's been games where he doesn't play him at all, but he's been giving him more of a consistent role, and I think that's been good for his development. But at the same time, I think the difference between Indiana and OKC is Indiana's mandate from their uh, ownership is to win games. So at the beginning of the season, like Bjorkman, I mean, for the majority of the season, really, but specifically at the beginning, you saw Brogdon and Sabonis playing close to 40 minutes almost every night, and it became an ongoing topic amongst Pacers Twitter, just how much he was kind of riding his stars a little bit too long and too many minutes, and, and it was kind of one of those things people were afraid that these guys might get hurt, especially with Domas coming off that plantar fasciitis that kept him out of the, the bubble playoffs. So, yeah, I just I, I think that with Bjorkren, it's been really hard for him this year just because of everything that he's asked to do. And like kind of the bumps they've had across the way, but he is super positive, and that's kind of his whole mo is like positive, 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 no negative. And so sometimes I feel like with Nate McMillan being like a sergeant type coach, and then going to a guy that's always positive. There was reports that came out that there was some discourse in the locker room, and uh, Jay Michael from the Indy Star, who covers the Pacers, said that the reports that he had heard basically was that players were getting upset that Brogdon and Sabonis were getting favoritism and uh, getting treated differently. So I think that he's got some issues that he's got to work on. Not necessarily like issues, issues, but like just player relation issues or player relation um, situations have to get better because quite frankly, I mean, these guys don't know him and this is a weird first year to try to get to know a coach. And, and I think that they like the system. They think that he's really smart, but the wins and the losses um, ha- have hurt their trust. I think a little bit, I don't want to go out on a limb and say that, but like, I think that they've, they're they not as happy-go-lucky as they were at the beginning of the season when they got off to a hard, hot start. Interesting, yeah. And and the fact that they can't – it's a hard year for relationship building. Like we've seen the protocols that they couldn't go out to dinner on the road and you're locked in your hotel room. And you know there were some locations, some, some NBA cities, where they, they couldn't even have the whole team in one conference room in the hotel. It mm-hmm. just makes it so incredibly difficult. So, it is, uh, yeah. we ha- we have a speaker request. Let's get Colin up here real quick. Colin, how's it going, man? Hey, man. Pretty good. How about you? Doing well. Doing well. What's up? Awesome. So I have a draft question about both the Pacers and the Thunder. Um, for the Pacers, what I want to know is, obviously, it's a huge stretch to get him. But could you see a guy like Corey, Chris, Corey Kispert uh, fitting in with them just because he's kind of a win-now player and I feel like he fits right into them, especially with the shooting? And then for the Thunder, Jacob, I want to know if the Thunder do end up with the uh, Rockets pick at number five and they get a pick at number three, what's more valuable, keeping the third and the fifth pick or trading up to get the number one pick? And I know that's a class, but I appreciate you guys. <laughs> Have fun at class, Colin. Appreciate you, man. Uh, Alex, I'll let you tackle the the Pacers question first. Yeah, so Kisper, I'm not sure if that's the guy that a lot of Pacer fans want. I think they want someone more athletic that can be kind of a two-way guy. 
Um, we haven't really done a ton of research on our uh, our draft prospects, you know. So we're we're still we're still looking at it. I think a lot of fans just want a guy that can put the ball in the hoop because we have such a rough spot there trying to um, just get the ball in the hoop at times. And I think you need a dynamic score. So I mean, I'm not even sure who they're going to be getting. I mean, Corey Kispert. I mean, he kind of reminds me a little bit of like a like a, a Joe Harris type player, maybe. Uh, maybe a little bit better, maybe more upside. I'm not sure, but I, I think that they want more athleticism. Um, I, I think that someone that could be interesting is like a Scotty Barnes. That's a guy I'm looking at from Florida State if they could go after someone like that. Um, maybe a Moses Moody if he falls a little bit. I mean, obviously, Davion Mitchell is somebody that everybody wants after watching what Baylor did. I think he would make sense because they need a point guard. So I, Kisper to me is not the guy that I want in this draft, but – um, he is a white guy, and uh, there is a running joke with Indiana uh, front offices taking white guys. So uh, I, I think even if he was Larry Bird, fans would be in an uproar just because of his skin color. <laughs> That's hilarious. <laughs> I love it. Um, as far as, as Colin's question, as far as the Thunder concerned, uh, if on draft lottery night the Thunder land three and five, what's more valuable, keeping three and five or – uh, getting the number one overall pick, man, this is this is the argument, right? This is the argument that that Thunder fans, since the Thunder have entered um, the the realm of actual possibility, where they could land both of those picks, that you just have to get the coin flip right on both of them. Uh, they could land three and five, and so three and five gets you what? Probably Jalen Suggs and Jonathan Kaminga. Like that's really attractive. Um, but there's a reason the number one pick is so valuable, right? Like I think if you were. We're driven by the search for better, but when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to indeed data and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. So the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. To ask me, like, Jacob, would you rather have pick three and five or one and 16? It's one and 16. Uh, the, the, for those of you who don't know, the, the reason I say 16 is because the Thunder get two picks this year, the best of their own, Houston's and Miami's, uh, but the Houston pick is top four protected. So if Houston lands one, two, three, or four, Houston keeps it, and the Thunder are forced to keep their own and Miami's pick. Miami's pick is currently at 16. So if the Thunder could get their own in Houston's, which would be like three and five, or it could get one and 16, you take one and 16 every time. Because if you want three and five, you could trade pick one in this draft for three and five easy. Uh, I actually think you would um, – I would be pissed off if the Thunder had picked number one and traded traded it for three and five. It yeah. would need to be three, five, and multiple future firsts uh, for me to be okay with them trading number one. Plus, I'm just super high on Cade. 
people are going to argue different sides. A lot of my co-hosts would say, give me three and five, give me two bites at the apple. Um, I'm on, I'm on the flip side of that fence, right? I'm go get me number one, get me Cade Cunningham, uh, and we'll figure the rest of it out down the line. But if you could get a guy like Cade, and he, Cade would fit on any team in the NBA right now. I don't care which team it is. Throw him on the, on the Brooklyn Nets, throw him in Orlando, throw him in Chicago. Doesn't matter. He fits. He can find a place on the floor and he will help your team win basketball games. I think it's that simple. So I am definitely team get pick number one over get three and five, uh, every day. Yeah. No, I would definitely do that. And I think one thing you can look at too is just like go through and look at the top 10 players of all time. How many of those were number one picks? You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. And I think, you know, there's guys like obviously that weren't number one that are probably in that top 10, but like the majority of them, I think you would say, you know, they're either one or two. You're not, you're not finding a top 10 player more, more than likely at three or five. Like there's obviously exceptions in the league. I mean, Luca was drafted, what, three by the Hawks and traded to the Mavericks. And then, you know, Nikola Jokic is your MVP candidate. He was drafted in the second round. Like there's obviously like, outliers like that but I just think if you have the chance at the first overall pick and I think it's a slam dunk across any mock draft that you look at that it's Cade Cunningham a 6'8 point guard uh, with a 7 foot wingspan I mean and he's from Oklahoma State I mean the the school right in your backyard it it, it just makes too much sense yeah 100% and you know Alex, you bring up a great point that you know you have your Giannis Antetokounmpo's you have um, your Kawhi Leonard's those are the exception to the rule. Those are not the rule, right? Uh, a couple of years ago, actually, I, I did a, a bit of a deep dive into this. And your percentage chance of being an, an all-NBA player uh, is like 65% if you are taken in the top five. And if you were taking pick six through 60, it's like a 4% chance, right? It just it falls off of a cliff. Um, and, and you want those top five picks. And the higher up in the top five you get, uh, the better your chances are that you get a franchise-changing, all-NBA type player. A um, couple more questions before we get out of here. Uh, we have Josh asking, what are your predictions for how many more games the Thunder will win before the end of the season? Thunder have 13 games left. Uh, man, Josh, at this point, like I'd be, I'd place the over-under at 2.5 for wins. I really wow. would. Um and I would be kind of tempted to take the under. They are, they've got some tough ones coming up. Uh, uh, Wizards, Sixers, Celtics, Pelicans, Suns, Warriors twice, both in, in Oakland. Um, the Kings three times. That's going to be the interesting one, depending on where the Kings are. Uh, and then Jazz Clippers, like those are some tough games. And so I have a hard time seeing the Thunder really rack up a lot of ones here. I think they will win again before the season's over. If it was up to me, they wouldn't win another game and they'd plummet to like the second best odds. But uh, I don't have control over that. Yeah, I think um, there's just going to be a random night where they're hot from three or something stupid like that. You know, they just get hot and the team they're playing is not hot. Yeah, and, and, it, and it could be one of those games against the Kings because – uh, not to be rude to any Kings fans in the chat, but the Kings just suck. They're just god-awful. Like, there's no other way to say it. The coaching is bad. Uh, the the mindset of that franchise is bad. I'm going to be – Alex, I'm going to be so incredibly pissed off if on NBA draft lottery night the Kings land in the top five and the Thunder do not. <laughs> How many times do the Kings need to get a top five pick and for it to not work out? Like, Well, they'll miss on it, that's for sure. <laughs> you, you mean know, like I take mean- uh, Marvin Bagley over Luka Doncic? Yeah, I mean, that they've, kind done of a lot. 
they've done a lot of bad ones. I mean, they got lucky with De'Aaron Fox, but I think that's because some of the other people picked before him. I think they had the fifth pick that draft, if I'm not mistaken. So, uh, yeah, poor Kings fans. Like, this is something that I've been talking about on my podcast. Like, how much longer till De'Aaron Fox wants out of Sacramento? One hundred percent. We've already heard that Mar- Marvin Bagley does want out, right? Yeah, he, yeah, his dad was asking for him to get out, right? And so, yeah, there was there was somebody. I think it was a Kings fan. Someone asked them what it would take to get Sabonis from the Pacers, and they like said Marvin Bagley, Buddy Heald, next year's uh, the twenty twenty two NBA draft top four protected pick, and then they said uh, whatever pick we select this year, they would actually draft the player, then trade him to the Pacers for. Sabonis and Jeremy Lamb, and I was like, really? You'd give up two first-round picks? Marvin Bagley, the second overall pick, and Buddy Hill just for Sabonis? I like, I was like, man, Kings fans are really desperate if, that, if that's the case. I mean, I like Sabonis, yeah. but two top four picks? I mean, that's uh, yeah, top four protected. Up. But still, like, I was like, I, Pacer fans would be dumb to turn that down, especially in this year's draft. Like, hey, I, I mean, <laughs> you know what I mean, but it's just like, the Kings, I mean, if they get – if Buddy Hill wants out – not Buddy Hill, if De'Aaron Fox wants out, that's the perfect player for the Pacers. They need that kind of point guard, and I think that I would offer picks and Sabonis and probably one of our guards, whether it's Brogdon or Levert. I mean, I would offer the motherload for him just because he's already signed that max deal, and I think that he would be a good fit here. Yeah, he you back up the truck for, for De'Aaron Fox. He's uh-huh. he's freaking good. And, yeah, I mean, you and you also have to wonder, like – when you get him out of Sacramento, how much more can he grow? Because I feel like Sacramento is a place where where if you get drafted there, your odds of succeeding, your ceiling is immediately lowered. And I know that sounds rough and that sounds kind of uh, uh, bad, but I mean, no lies detected, right? <laughs> and I love that Jeremiah in the chat says the Kings will take Kispert at three. Uh, that would be so on brand. So on brand. <laughs> No, it definitely would. And, and here is just here is just some of their uh, terrible picks. I mean, they did last year get Tyrese Halliburton, so you got to give them credit on that. Yes, yes, Ty, I, Tyrese has been very good. But the, the year after, the year before that, they didn't have a pick in 2019, 2018. Marvin Bagley, they had Gary Trent and traded him to Portland. That worked out great for him. Um, Darren Fox, obviously, the year before that, Marquise Chris. I think he was traded to Phoenix. They Willie Collins, mm-hmm. Nick Stauskas, Ben McLemore, Thomas Robinson, uh, Bismack Biombo was the seventh overall pick in 2011. God. Demarcus Cousins, that was a good one, but obviously, uh, you know, Tyreek Evans won Rookie of the Year, but look at him now. Jason Thompson, Spencer Halls, uh, just I'm just going down the list here. This is going back all the way to 2007. So I mean, they just they're just not good drafters, and they've had good mm-hmm. picks. Even more talent not, evaluation. Well, more talent their, evaluation. Look at their head coach right now; he's awful. Yep, and I think he will probably get fired by the end of the season. Uh, yeah. Jeremiah also asked, will Adam Silver rig the lottery for the Thunder, uh, or will he throw us to the shadows and give the Rockets pick one and give the Thunder pick seven? Hey, I am all aboard the rigged lottery conspiracy theory. I'm into it, um, but if the conspiracy is true, they're probably going to give the number one pick to Houston since they lost their superstar in James Harden. But hey, they didn't really lose their superstar. They just mismanaged their team so bad that their superstar wanted out. So I'm still uh, – And they know. don't know how to I, trade. Why would you not want Karis LeVert and Jared Allen and all those picks over Victor Oladipo and um, – Who you Dante flipped two Exum. months later. Yeah, you flipped, Kelly Olenek and Avery Bradley. <laughs> yeah, know? what a horrible trade. That, what a horrible trade. They really messed up. I mean, they got the picks they wanted, but it's like 
are the Nets picks going to be that bad? I mean, they could be in like five, six years, but yeah, I don't, I don't know. And if you're talking, if you're talking conspiracy theories on the lottery being rigged, the Pacers were actually one of the first teams to have to go through that when the New York Knicks in 1985 uh, won the draft lottery to get Patrick Ewing, and many believe that was called the frozen envelope to to give New York oh, the yeah. number one pick, and the yeah. Pacers ended up getting number two. So. Uh, we we know all about draft conspiracies and, and small market teams definitely like to put that conspiracy theory hat on, especially when you see a team like or a market like Houston, uh, you know, needing a needing a star. How much um, China has uh, been a huge fan of the Rockets? Like that's the Chinese team. Um, yeah, you know what I mean. Since Yao was there, so I mean, hey, it's very possible. <laughs> definitely. Uh, and to our listeners who don't know this, whenever the draft. Uh, lottery reform happened and they changed and flattened the top three odds. Uh, Sam Presti, the lone dissenting uh, vote out of all 30 NBA teams uh, to not flatten out the lottery odds. So maybe Adam Silver has it out for Sam Presti for being the one nay vote as well. Uh, maybe there's something there. Who knows? Well, do you uh, think, uh, well, real quick, do you think that Adam Silver could be frustrated with how Sam Presti's going about building his rosters <laughs> and doing all the tanking that he's doing, the unintentional tanking. That That is definitely a possibility as well. He might be mad that Sam Presti owns like 35% of all the draft capital over the next seven years. Yeah, and he could just say, we're going to screw you. <laughs> there you go. Uh, Hayden Peterson says, can Svee be a role player off the bench for the next five-plus years? Uh, Svee's an interesting one. He has played a lot better in Oklahoma City, I feel like, than he was in Detroit this past season. Um, I think that was another rare win-win trade where Detroit got Hamadou Diallo, the Thunder gets Svee Mihailuk. It's going to be interesting to see what type of contract uh, Svee gets this summer and if the Thunder bring him back. The Thunder are going to be crunched as far as the roster is concerned if they are bringing three rookies in this summer as well. So it's going to be interesting to see where that, that shakes out. Uh, but Svee does look like a, a pretty solid role player off the bench. He can shoot it. He's, he's shown some athleticism in Oklahoma city. I think he's up to like 15 dunks now. Um, so, so some nice stuff from Svee. Uh, anything else we got here? Justin Perryman says when we have Moses Brown averaging double doubles and Shay Dort and Baisley and Cade each scoring 20 next year, You'll have to change the pod name from the uncontested to the undefeated. Ooh, I like that. (laughs) I like it. Um, Justin also asks for us to do a sim, a a tankathon sim, before we get out of here. So, Alex, uh, do you have any last thoughts on this game uh, or or anything with the Thunder and the Pacers before we we rock a tankathon sim and then log out of here? Well, we get to play again soon, I think. And I think this is the only team the Pacers had not played up to this point was the Thunder. And the Thunder losing this game gave the Pacers their 10th home win, which is weird. The Pacers have actually had a winning home record for like 20 plus, 30 plus years, I think. And I can't remember what the total number was, but this year they are very close to losing that streak of uh, winning records at home. They are the worst home uh, win-loss record team in the Eastern Conference so, you know, winning has not been easy for them at home. But all I can say is after tonight's game, I think that the Thunder are doing a great job of tanking. And I think the Pacers are, are clearly trying to win still. And I think that O'Shea Bursette, uh, this is really the storyline for pretty much every podcast. O'Shea Bursette, um looks like a legit NBA player. And I think that he's going to be uh, some of that's on the Pacers for the next couple of years and probably get some rotation minutes. 
Nice. I like it. Well, before we log out of here, let's hit this Tankathon sim. I meant to ask, is Indiana letting fans in? They are letting fans in. I'm not sure what the capacity is, but it's um, they are letting limited fans in right now. Are you guys letting fans nice. in at OKC? The, the Thunder announced about a month ago that they would not let fans in for the rest of the season. Okay. So I think the Thunder are going to be the only team in the league when it's all said and done. I think there's Chicago – is letting fans in or about to let fans in. There's another team as well. There's three teams right now not letting fans in. Uh, two of them are working towards uh, towards getting there before the season is over. And then uh, the Thunder have already come out and said, nope, we're not doing it. So uh, nice. there will be no fans in the Chesapeake Energy Arena uh, <laughs> until next season when it's renamed because Chesapeake has gone bankrupt and gave up the naming rights. So wow. uh, I am still on board with renaming it the Dorcher Chamber. Uh, like somebody it, get... Somebody get the GoFundMe set up. Uh, we will tweet it out, and we'll crowdsource the money uh, to name the stadium. So uh, <laughs> here's our sim. I hit the button. It's spinning. The Thunder get pick number five from the Houston Rockets and their own pick, pick number eight. Not the worst sim in the world. Getting top five and number eight. Maybe you can package those two and move up a little bit. Um, for Alex's sake, the Indiana Pacers stayed pat at pick number 12. So I went ahead and pulled it up, too, and I ran it. I actually just did it like two or three times just to see what would happen. And on my third time, I got the Pacers at number one, which is hilarious. Oh, there you go. It. it was Pacers, Cleveland, Minnesota. Then OKC had back-to-back picks at four and five. <laughs> hey, let's make it happen. I'm into that one, too. <laughs> I don't know. Awesome. You don't well, want to see us with Kate Cunningham. <laughs> <laughs> hey, he's – He's cold, man. He that kid can hoop. Um, That's who the to our, <laughs> Yes, to uh, our uncontested listeners, man. Uh, make sure you check out Alex uh, and his podcast. Uh, they, he runs the Setting the Pace podcast for the Indiana Pacers. It's great content. You can also follow him, Alex. We shout out your Twitter account for us, please. Yeah, I'm at Alex Golden NBA. Pretty simple. And then if you want to check out the podcast, it's at Setting the Pace Three. So go check out the. Uh, Setting the Pace podcast, they do a great job over there. Uh, And for the uncontested listeners, we will be back again Friday night after the Thunder take on the Washington Wizards for the second time this week. I believe Justin has that post game. He got his second COVID vax today, so hopefully Justin is filling up to it and and is ready to go by Friday. The the tank continues. It is now 12 straight. The, The Oklahoma City Thunder Record losing streak, 14 games in their inaugural season. We are going to be knocking on the door, folks. We'll see if the Thunder get there. They are now one and a half games away from the fourth best odds with the Detroit Pistons, although I think the Pistons are going to lose tonight. I haven't checked the score recently. Uh, You guys will know this whenever you listen to this podcast in the morning. To those of you on the locker room app, thanks for jumping in. Thanks for being in the chat. Thanks for hopping up on stage. We will talk to you again soon. And as always, Thunder up. All right, everybody, we are back, and we have a special guest for us. We have Rohan Nadkarni from Sports Illustrated. Rohan recently just published an awesome in-depth article about a week ago uh, that had Pacer Nation buzzing. It was called The Trade That Might Have Saved Karis LeVert. Rohan, tell us about what sparked your interest and how are you doing today? Uh, well, first of all, thank you so much uh, for having me on and your kind words. Uh, I really appreciate it. I think obviously everyone was interested in Karis LeVert's story. Uh, it was such a shocking development when he was traded. And, you know, the reports reports first trickled out that he had a growth on his kidney. And then you find out 
it's cancer. And then all of a sudden he's playing, uh, I believe not even two months later. So I, I think everyone was interested in the story. You know, I was fortunate that the Leverts were willing to share with, with myself and sports illustrated. So I think I, I was just really kind of amazed. I wasn't expecting to see Karis Levert play again this season after kind of what we learned initially. So I, I think that everyone kind of knew that there was some kind of a remarkable story here, but you know, even myself going in didn't realize just how remarkable it was. Yeah, it really was remarkable because I believe all in all, it was like roughly 50 days from surgery to returning to the court and making his Pacers debut. So something just truly remarkable. But when talking with Karis, how would you describe that he was, you know, when reflecting on such a tough and difficult time? Uh, that's a great question. I think that he was it was obvious to me that he really recognized how a special almost sounds like a, the wrong word, but I think he realized just how incredible this circumstance was just talking to him, you know, him pointing out to me that not every team does the MRI that the Pacers do uh, to find his specific condition. You know, he told me at first he was thought he was going to the Rockets instead of the Pacers. I think that, that he, the, the main takeaway I had from speaking with him was I think he was, he's very aware. Uh, he recognizes with great appreciation just how remarkable the circumstance was, how lucky he was to be in this situation, to have had an, a chance to basically have his condition found as early as it was. Uh, you know, that's what really stood out to me. He just seemed to be, you know, he, he realized as much as the rest of us do, just how, how lucky he was to be in this situation is, as weird as that sounds, to be lucky to find out you have cancer, he really was lucky to to find it when he did. Yeah, I mean, I know, like, whatever you're going to use the term lucky, whatever it is, it, it just feels, you know, strange in this situation. But can you just tell us how unique was it for the Pacers to include a lower back MRI in their physical after we know, you know, the Nets had given them a physical and they didn't detect anything? Absolutely. Yeah. I, in, in no way do I want to throw the Nets under the bus. I mean, obviously mm -hmm. the Nets, you know, know Karis very well. He had nothing but great things to say about that organization. Same thing with Karis's family. Uh, they all have the utmost respect for the Nets. You know, when the Nets did his preseason checkup, I guess, so to speak, you know, they're checking things based off his existing injury history, right? Mm -hmm. They've had him there uh, for a few years. They know, you know, X, Y, Z, he needs oh, we should do this x-ray, this MRI based on his, his injury history. Uh, many teams just, just don't do the lower back MRI. And I, I think that he, you know, he realized if, if I'd gone to Houston, I might not have gotten the same the same kind of physical. Uh, it really is just up to the individual teams, kind of what, what they're looking for, what they want to check. Uh, but I think a lot of times, you know, they're going to go with, we know this guy's a history of X problems, so we're going to check that area. Uh, the Pacers just, just happen to be, you know, willing to do, go this extra step, do this job that, that not a lot of teams do. Um, I, I don't think that, that I'm trying to cast other teams in a poor light. It just really goes back to kind of, I think, the, the luckiness of the situation. No, it really was. And, and I'm sure every medical staff is different. So it's not like just the Nets would have missed this. There could have been potentially, you know, 28, 29 other teams that, that might have missed this. So a, a very unique situation. Um, and now I don't want to spoil the whole article for everybody because it's it's a great read. But from your standpoint, I mean, like when you were talking with Karis, like what was he, you know, how was his, his mind like in terms of this rehab? I know you go in depth on there, but I mean, 
it, it, this was a very, you know, I keep going back to the term unique, but he went through a series of emotions in there. How would you best describe Karras's uh, mindset during this time? I think his mindset was determined, but, but as you mentioned, his situation was unprecedented. I remember him, you know, when his doctor told him what the recovery was going to be like, it, it wasn't necessarily basketball related. It was, these are the things people go through uh, after having your kind of operation, after having your kind of condition, they weren't sure when he could get back on the court because this injury isn't a basketball related one, right? It's not a torn ACL. It's not a separated shoulder, a sprained ankle, et cetera. It, it just was unprecedented. And I think, you know, the doctors told him when you're feeling up to it, that's when you can kind of get back on the court. And I think Karis really took that to heart. I think he, he, the phrase he kept repeating to me was a sense of normalcy. I think he was craving that and he wanted to just get back to his, his typical routine, his normal life as quickly as he could. And I think that determination really carried him because, you know, as it says in the story, and as he told me, his rehab was not easy. I think, uh, you know, you always hear stories about guys, they're itching to get in the gym and they want to do X, Y, Z. They're so ready to heat rehab. Uh, rehab is difficult uh, for every player, for every injury. And, and Karis was very honest with me. It was not easy for him to pick up a basketball again. He told me he still has bad days where he feels nauseous or he, he feels like, you know, he can't exert himself physically the way he's accustomed to. So, you know, his process was really just unprecedented. They didn't have a lot of, you know, examples they could draw on in the past. And, and beyond that, uh, the just the nature of his surgery, his condition, the operation he had, I, I think made the process very difficult for him. But but he was very determined, I think, to kind of recapture uh, what his life was like before the operation. Determined has to be the key word there, because all in all, like I mentioned before, I believe it was 50 days that he was traded on January 15th. I believe he had the surgery on January 25th and he made his Pacers debut, I want to say, on March 13th. Did that seem ridiculously fast or was it that he had all the boxes checked and felt a sense of normalcy a return there because I mean this we as as fans we didn't know I mean this could be maybe he returns this year maybe he doesn't but within 50 days what was your reaction to that return I when I heard him tell me that he had his kidney removed which I don't believe that he had made public before the story. I, I could not believe it. I really could not believe it. And I'm obviously not a medical expert. I'm not, I couldn't tell you how Karis felt physically as, as best as he did to describe it to me in that moment. But when he told me he, he didn't know he was going to have his kidney removed before his surgery, his doctor told him that it was a possibility, uh, but they'd have to get in there and see how big the growth was, how big the tumor was. The fact that he had his kidney removed and, and was playing, you know, basketball, like you said, I believe 50 days later, I was shocked. And it's funny, I, you know, just going back through the transcript of the interview uh, when I was writing the story, the amount of times I said, Oh my God, Oh my goodness. <laughs> I bet. Oh my God. And to, to hear that story, it was remarkable. I, I was blown away. I, I obviously, you know, in years of covering the NBA, you realize that athletes, the level they can get to physically, what they're willing to put their bodies through. I mean, we're seeing it this, you know, season, a shortened season players have put their bodies through um it's it's really remarkable and you you start to understand and appreciate the sacrifices these guys are making and, and Karis was really no different uh, I think it was so important to him to get back on the court uh that, that he made it happen as fast as he could but when he told me that his kidney was removed and he was playing basketball 50 days later I mean if that was me I, I can't imagine I would be doing anything 50 days later uh, let alone playing an NBA game so it was 
truly, truly remarkable, at least to me, uh, maybe a doctor or someone is listening to this and thinking it's not a big deal, but I, I just, to me, it doesn't compute at least that, that you could play basketball again at the level he's been playing that quickly. No, it, it really doesn't. Uh, I mean, just to your average Joe, I mean, that's enough to pretty much probably not do any physical activity for quite some time, let alone return to the NBA and compete against the best in the world. Um, you know, we mentioned it a little bit earlier, but I mean, Rohan, I really can't think of any other time that a player has, you know, beat or overcome whatever you want to call it, cancer in, in the same and returned in the same year. I mean, is there anything that comes to mind there? I mean, I, I know James Conner from the Steelers beat it, but he missed a full year of college. You know, this is 50 days to return and not just return. Bro, he's playing at a high level. I mean, this is a guy who recently was averaging, I think, over 25 points in about a four-game span. I mean, shooting over 50%. When you're seeing these, I mean, is this just someone that you think moving forward, how could you not root for Karis LeVert? Oh, I, you hit the nail on the head. I mean, I want to stress, it's not just Karis. Uh, his brother, Daryl, his mother, Kim, uh, they were all such generous and incredible and kind people to speak with uh you know, it was an honor. It was a privilege to, to have an opportunity to share their story. I'm rooting for all the Leverts. And, you know, you mentioned the last guy I could even think of is Alonzo Mourning, who I believe mm -hmm. missed, you know, a full season and more, and he needed a kidney transplant. Um, and it, it took a little while before I, I think he was playing at the level that he was accustomed to again. Uh, certainly wasn't necessarily the, the same player that he was earlier in his career. Uh, the way Karras is playing, I, I think that he still figures to be a huge part of the Pacers' future. Um, and, you know, I know that a lot of, you know, fans, they only get to see the kind of person he is on the court. I just want to stress just how generous and, and great his family was. And, you know, the way they took the situation in stride when Karis told me that, you know, he, he said, I, when I went to that, that follow-up test, I'd come to peace that whatever happens, happens. Like I have to accept it. It's out of my control. All I can do is control um, my positivity and how I handle the situation. Uh, that's just an incredible and beautiful perspective to have, uh, you know, and as a player, he's also easy to root for with just how well he's playing and, and his versatility. I know that, you know, uh, speaking to people with the Pacers, they're really excited about what he can bring the team. Oh, very much. Very, very excited about it. But also it's kind of strange how things came full circle on draft night. He's wearing an Indiana Pacer hat before being traded to the Brooklyn Nets then he ends up, obviously, years later, getting traded to the Pacers and having this happen, which, like you mentioned, even that title, could have saved his life. Uh, I, I think it's only fitting now that Lavert has embraced this. And as you mentioned in the article, he's now became an ambassador for the American Cancer Society. I mean, how amazing is that? Uh, it's really great. And I think that, you know, he made it a point to, you know, his mother said the same thing, that, that this is something that they you know, he can use his platform for it. He doesn't want this to be isolated to just to him. It's clearly important to him. You know, he mentioned uh, specifically with the, you know, African-American community, he wants to be able to give back. He wants to be able to be an example. He wants to be a symbol. Uh, and I, I think that's really great. It's it's not just about overcoming this, but, but, uh, but about getting screened and showing that you can have a normal life uh, after going through something like this. So the fact that he's, you know, not only gone through the journey he has, the fact that he's come back on the court, uh, but is willing to be 
uh, a symbol willing to be kind of the, the living example. I think that's, that's a really great way uh, to make sure that, you know, what happened to him, you know, more people have that opportunity uh, to, to have the experience he did where his cancer is detected early and uh, live a healthy full life afterward. No, completely. I mean, hey, look, it's, it sounds, you know, it sounds strange to say it, but I feel like a lot of time, you know, us men, we pride ourselves on being, you know, rugged and manly and everything will work out, we'll be fine. But if this could happen to Karis LeVert, this could happen to any of us. So I would highly recommend that everybody gets checked, you know, at some point within the year. I know for myself, I haven't had a physical in probably a couple of years. And, you know, players in the NBA, you could have multiple physicals in a year and they could still miss this. So, you definitely want to be able to get checked. Um, but Rohan, you know, as, as we wrap up over here, I would love to uh, have you highlight maybe some of the other articles you have coming out, because to be honest, I hadn't read your work before, but after reading the Levert article, I, I truly love it. I'm, I'm a follower of yours now. And I think the listeners should uh, stay tuned to what you have coming out. Well, thank you so much. I, I really appreciate that. And, you know, I, anytime I write a story, I just hope that it, uh, it resonates with, with fans of a certain team or a certain player. Um, I would just encourage people to continue to check out SI.com. I mean, we have a great team of writers. It's it's not just myself. It's Jeremy Wu. It's Howard Beck. It's Chris Mannix. Uh, it's Chris Herring. We have our morning shoot around series. Uh, I write every Friday uh, for that. You know, we have a different feature column from one of our writers every single day. Um, if people are interested in my writing, if that's a real thing, uh, you know, for our preview issue, I did stories on Anthony Davis and Jimmy Butler. And since then, we've done uh, Alex Crusoe, now K- Harris. So yeah, I, we, I'm fortunate to be part of a really talented staff at SI. Um, I, I think that, you know, my colleague, Alex Pruitt did a great story on Malcolm Brogdon, uh, another obviously Pacers guard. Mm-hmm. So uh, we have a lot there, I, I think for everyone to check out. So, you know, I, I would hope that anyone listening to this interested in more stories like that, like uh, I'm fortunate to be part of a great team. I, I think we're doing great work like that uh, often at, at SI.com. If you check out our NBA section. Uh, you very much are. Tell everybody where they could find you on Twitter. Absolutely. It's at Rohan Nadkarni, uh, R-O-H-A-N, uh, N-A-D-K-A-R-N-I. I'll be there. I'm usually making uh, jokes more so than, than tweeting my stories, but, you know, we'll see what happens. <laughs> Rohan, it was a pleasure. I really appreciate the time, and uh, I'll be staying tuned on those articles. Thank you so much, man. I, I really appreciate your time. Thank you for giving me the platform. You got it. Keep up the great work.